Welcome to the PatioBooks.com presentation of Murder at Avedon Hill. My name is P.G. Holyfield. And now, episode 31 of Murder at Avedon Hill. Chapter 31 Talek The Icon of Iberian Child of Prophecy If knowledge causes problems for you, do not resort to selective ignorance. In Iberian's own words. The late afternoon sun did little to warm Avedon Hill, but two bowls of stew at the inn had done the trick for Aramis Cragen. Cletus had recovered more quickly than Aramis had anticipated. Once up and grumpier than ever, Cletus had refused to leave his post, even though he could not remember what had happened at the gate. Lord Avedon returned to the manor accompanied by Ulrich and Tanner. Head Constable Lewis told Cletus he would check in on him more often that evening, and that Cletus would have to sleep in his own bed that night. Cletus argued, but had finally agreed. Aramis had told both men that he would be at the inn, and to please get him if Father Joris returned to town. Aaron had spoken barely a word since they had left the town gate. Once Talek left them alone at their table, Aramis shared more of what had happened at the library. Following this, they continued eating in silence. Events finally seemed to overwhelm Aaron. He slammed his spoon down on the table. What are we doing? Dead ends all around. Aramis looked over at the inn's other dinner patron, Alex de Weirin. The general store owner returned Aramis's stare for a moment, but soon turned away, focusing on his meal. Aramis finished chewing and swallowed before speaking in a low voice. You are not thinking clearly, Aaron. We know so much more now than we did this morning. He pointed his own spoon at Aaron. We solved one murder, and in so doing, we proved that Lane Nichols could not have killed Greta. And how is this not a dead end? Well, since we know Lane did not kill Greta, and we are for the time being ruling out Edward as the murderer... And since we believe there are no other vampires in Avedon Hill, we can now concentrate on other theories. Aaron pointed at his neck. A high collar somewhat hid the bandage covering the wounds from his attack the night before. Did you forget about this? Of course not, Aaron. Something or someone attacked you last night. But it was not Lane Nichols. And I do not believe it could have been Edward. So, again, this leads us back to other hypotheses. Aaron slapped himself on the forehead. Not your greed theory again. 
Aramis's eyes lit as he smiled. Not necessarily, but greed is a great motivator. We know there has been some sort of money distribution system in place at Abaddon Hill for hundreds of years, even though we have not learned how the bulk of this gold was made. One thing I do know, when riches are dispersed to individuals in a group, there will always be those that feel they are not receiving their fair share. We also know that Greta was scheduled to meet with someone the night she was killed, someone that she did not want to meet with. And it possibly had to do with this, this very thing. The missing book. Aramis nodded. Yes, if Greta's journal still exists, then it may provide us even more answers to these questions. What about the tunnels? You still believe the murderer used the tunnels to get into the courtyard? If not to get into the courtyard, then definitely to escape, yes. Well, then I'll search the tunnels while you explore this greed theory. Tomorrow, Aaron. And we will explore the tunnels together. We should not chance wandering those tunnels at night, especially alone. Aaron's frustration was clear, and Aramis understood how difficult this was for the young prince. The Pertee family was made up of men of action, and patience was a hard lesson to teach. Aaron, I want you to do me a favor. Please go upstairs and get some rest. I suspect that sleep will not be our companion tonight. And whether you feel it or not, you still need time to recover from last night. Aaron almost said something, but then thought better of it. After a moment, Aaron stood. Sure, I'll, I'll be in our room. Aramis did not watch his young friend leave the common room. He flexed his arm happy to find that his own wound from the night before had nearly healed. Aramis possessed a quick healing ability seen in many ironic advisors. His monastic training and his link to the river of magic allowed his body to recover from illness and injury faster than most. As he finished a piece of honey bread, Aramis sighed. His dependence on food that had developed over the last few years bothered him greatly. The same connection to the river that healed his body it had once allowed him to go for a week without food, now forced him to consume as much as a man twice his size. As the prophecy states, the land gives, the land takes away. By the time Aramis had finished his meal, Alex de Weirin had excused himself and left the inn. Aramis called Talek over to his booth. Please, Talek, sit down with me for a moment. Talek was surprised at the request, but lowered himself into the booth across from Aramis. Thank you for moving us to another room. Talek smiled without a glint of happiness. Stone floor, no windows, not exactly the hospitality I usually provide to my guests. Was your meal satisfactory, Sir Aramis? Aramis flashed a smile. Oh yes, it hit the spot. In fact, I think I might have another of your famous ales. Talek began to rise from the booth, but Aramis stopped him. Not right now, Talek guy. I want to talk with you about something else. Considering recent events, Talek frowned. What is that, Sir Aramis? The other day you mentioned bringing a carnival to town. How long have you been promoting this idea? Talek's face brightened immediately. Oh, for several months now, Sir Aramis. You should see the animals they work with in this carnival. 
bears, wolves, even a tiger, and the acrobats, my oh my. Aramis raised a hand in an attempt to dam the river. How did Greta take to your idea? The innkeeper's face lost its energy as he realized the monk was not interested in the carnival after all. She did not like the idea. Bringing visitors to Avedon Hill for purposes other than using the pass does not fit with Avedon Hill's way of life, would it? Talek furrowed his brow, but then a look of realization passed across his face. Attempting to recover, he coughed <coughs> once and then stammered. I, I'm not sure what you mean, Sir Aramis. Oh, I believe you do. More visitors to Avedon Hill would mean more potential residents. More residents would jeopardize everything the Avedons and Platts have created here. Talek paled. Aramis continued, not giving Talek the chance to protest. Your family has lived in Avedon Hill since its founding, have they not? Yes, the Boers are the third oldest family in Avedon Hill, next to the Avedons and the Platts. And if I am not mistaken, you should have enough gold for ten lifetimes. Talek, still white, nevertheless managed to generate a little fire in his voice. Gold? He seemed to weigh his words very carefully. Do you think I have seen... It was clear to Aramis that the innkeeper had little experience at holding his tongue. We are only allowed to travel once a year outside of Avedon Hill to enjoy what little gold we are. Talek stopped and <sighs> sighed heavily, blowing air out of his mouth. Greta refused to see that we could bring people to Avedon Hill and personally earn extra gold without exposing our town's economic structure. A distribution system, but little in the way of actual distributing, it seems. When was your last actual meeting with Greta? The uneasy look reappeared in Talek's eyes. Two weeks before her death, she agreed to see me at the manor. It was my first time at the manor in nearly a year. You spoke to her about the carnival. Yes, but she had already learned of my idea from the others in town that couldn't keep their mouths shut. She barely listened to a word I said. Was that the day that you were forcibly removed from the manor? Aramis was surprised to learn that Talek could turn an even paler shade of pale. I... no. That was later. During our last meeting at the manor, Greta wouldn't even let me tell her about the dancers and the two bards they have. Storytellers unlike we've seen here in Avedon Hill, I can safely say. She asked me to try and think of what's best for the town, not just me. Can you believe that? I mean, I'm always thinking about what's best for the town, not like... Talek stopped himself and stared down at the empty plate in front of Aramis. You went back, though, the next week. Why? I couldn't give up that easily, Sir Aramis. You just don't know. They have this woman, see, that walks across a rope extended across two poles, and she even dances while on the rope. She's so high in the air, higher than the manor is tall. He paused, remembering the topic of discussion. But Miss Platt had instructed that fop of a butler to turn me away. Talek twisted his cloth towel in his hands. Even so, I held no ill will towards Miss Greta. You've got to believe me. Aramis raised his hands to silence the innkeeper. So you still want to see this carnival here in Avedon Hill? Talek nodded. I'll wait until the next housemistress arrives, and then I'll reopen discussions regarding just that. You see, Sir Aramis, Rondellus Marks and his Carnival of Stars would be just what Avedon Hill needs. Rondellus is a powerful, 
a charismatic man, let's just say, and I promised him personally that I could make this happen. But if Lord Avedon refuses... They cannot refuse. Talek once again had a wild look in his eyes. Excuse me, Sir Aramis. I am taking up too much of your time. One last thing, please. Aramis's request caught Talek in the act of standing, his knees locked against the edge of the table. I have it on good authority that even after you were escorted from the manor, you showed up a few days later and waited for Sykes outside the manor, just on the off chance that you would run into Greta. I did around midday. Miss Platt took lunch outside of town on many occasions, and I thought I might catch her on the way to the stables. But she never came out, and she was killed later that night. Talek extricated himself from the booth, finally sliding his heavy legs to the side. You said you needed an ale. Muttering under his breath about all the cleaning that needed to be done, Talek nearly ran from the table back to the kitchen. The underground cave was not unlike the great cavern that housed the Abaddon family cemetery. Aaron Perti couldn't remember how he got there, and as he tried to piece together which tunnels he might have accessed underneath Abaddon Hill to get to this place, he realized he must be dreamwalking again. The pale green light of the glow rocks filled the great chamber. The light began to pulse, first bright, then dim, as if the rocks had a life of their own. How could we have never heard of this mineral? Just because it loses its glow when brought to the surface? The pulses became stronger, taking on a definite rhythmic pattern. From the center of the cavern, Aaron saw several openings in the stone walls. Yellow eyes peered at him from these tunnels, life hiding in the darkness of at least three passages. Burn me. I have to learn how to control things while dreamwalking. Unsure if this very thought was the cause, the welcomed result was that Aaron instantly found himself dressed for battle. Wildfire was in his right hand. His favorite shield was in his left. He looked at his shield. The falcon of the Pertee family stared back at him. Aaron had complained vehemently to Aramis when the monk told him he could not bring his shield. He struck the front of his shield with the pommel of his sword. Now this is more like it. Talek Bor stood almost twenty paces from him. The innkeeper was dressed much differently, wearing the livery of a lord, with a whitewashed leather shirt and a vest of ringmail. Talek held his hands out before him, palms extended upward, as if pleading with Aaron to stay back. Talek's mouth was moving, but the sound of his voice did not reach Aaron's ears. The beating pulse of the glow rocks filled Aaron's ears with a whooshing sound, in and out, in and out, drowning out everything else. Aaron found that the light in the chamber and the pulsing in his ears matched the beating of his own heart. The eyes moved forward into the cavern. Wolves, at least a dozen, stared back at him from behind Talek. Some growled, while others simply watched. Aaron stood without moving, waiting to see if the wolves were going to attack him or Talek. 
Talek seemed to be only interested in Aaron. This is only a dream. Let's see what I can do. Aaron touched the point of his sword to the ground before him. He scraped the unnaturally even floor of the cavern, leaving a line in the dust and dirt. He raised the sword, pointing it at several of the more aggressive wolves. Come for me. Talek's pleading immediately morphed into anger. He held his hands above his head, fish shaking, yelling at Aaron. Still only hearing the song of his own heartbeat, Aaron took his eyes off the wolves and watched the innkeeper mouth the word ruin. Two wolves behind and to the left of Talek charged. As they passed Talek, three more leaped forward from Talek's right, all heading for Aaron. Aaron had just enough time to choose a direction to dodge in an attempt to evade the first charging beast. He jumped to his left. So what did you say to Talik? Cousin Red smirked as he handed Aramis a mug of ale. He's even more upset than usual. Aramis picked up the mug and smelled the ale. I do not have any idea. <laughs> I see your ironic code allows for sarcasm. Anyway, Talik told me to close up for the night if you don't need anything else. He's never done that this early. Has Talik been acting strangely? I mean, even before Greta's death. Red shrugged. Talik always acts strangely. Aramis returned red smirk, the family resemblance shining through. Okay, yes. For the last month or so, it has been worse, I guess. Lila told me the approach of winter usually does this to him. Aramis stood, going over Constable Lewis's notes in his head. I believe I will pass on the ale. Tell me about the night Greta was killed. You were here, along with Talik and Lila, correct? Red nodded. Ali did the inn close for dinner that night. We had three guests that night at the inn, traders of some sort. I was here very late, and Lila stayed the night in a room, as she always does. Was Talik here the entire time? He was in his basement office for two or three sykes, but he never left the inn. Basement office. We keep supplies there, and that's where he works on paperwork he has to do for Lord Avedon. He even sleeps down there sometimes. Naps, that sort of thing. Red smiled, lifting Aramis's mug of ale. It's also where he does his brewing. He normally sleeps in a room upstairs, right? Yes, he has a bedroom down the hall from where you are now. He just uses his cot in the basement office if there are things going on. It's easier for us to wake him by just knocking on the door at the top of the basement stairs. Aramis squeezed Red's shoulder. Very good. Chapter 32 
Rondellis Marx and his Carnival of Stars, the Icon of Trake, Child of Pain. Iberian, do moon beasts belong to Ursula? They may be called Ursula's children, but I believe they belong to Trake. In Iberian's own words. Aramis entered his room to find Aaron thrashing in his bed. He suspected the young prince was dreamwalking, and by all indications, it did not appear to be a pleasurable experience. Aaron's arms were extended before him towards the ceiling as he flailed his body from side to side. At the same time, his legs kicked at the blankets covering them. Pure fury was etched on the prince's taut face. Aramis grabbed a pitcher of water and moved over to the left side of Aaron's bed. He knew it was not wise to physically wake a dreamwalker from a walk, but he was afraid he was going to have to chance it. Just then, Aramis witnessed something that cemented his choice. Aaron growled in pain and a streak of blood appeared on the left arm of Aaron's nightshirt. Aramis leaned in and threw the water at Aaron's face, but at the same time, Aaron kicked his legs so hard that he threw himself off the opposite side of the bed. The water from the pitcher hit the bed, missing Aaron entirely. Aaron shook his head, still groggy. He stared at Aramis for a moment, confused by his presence. Talik, I, I think he has something to do with the wolves. Aramis raised an eyebrow as he leaned down to help Aaron up to his bed. He pulled up the sleeve of Aaron's shirt and found a finger-length shallow gash across his forearm. By Hajj, what is this? I thought it was only a dream, Aramis. While Aramis bandaged the cut on Aaron's arm, Aaron shared his dream walk. After Aramis listened, he apologized for sending him away from the common room. Aramis then described his conversations with Talik and Red. You believe we'll find another tunnel in the basement? What do you think? Aaron thought once more about his dream. Yes, I'm sure we will. Well, you said you wanted to explore the tunnels tonight, didn't you? Aaron laughed, flexing his newly bandaged arm. You're serious? We are going to wait a psych or so. Talik sent Red home, but I believe our innkeeper is still cleaning up the kitchen. And yes, I'm serious. I'm beginning to trust your dreams more and more. Listening to Murder at Avedon Hill, a podcast novel written and produced by P.G. Holyfield. Please visit pgholyfield.com for more information on this novel and the author. Most of the music in this podcast generously provided by Shira Common through Magnatune.com. Magnatune.com, they are not evil. 
Additional music generously provided by Kevin McLeod through his website at incompetech.com. Be sure to check out Murder at Avedon Hill at patiobooks.com. And if you are so inclined, please post a review at iTunes, at Podcast Pickle, or at patiobooks.com. Audio comments about the podcast can be left on the Cairn line at 704-315-5884. Or go to pgholyfield.com and click on the Call Me button to leave comments. This podcast is copyright 2007-2008 by P.G. Holyfield and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative works, 3.0 U.S. license.